Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I take full responsibility for everything this government has been doing in tackling coronavirus, and I'm very proud of our record. Tens of thousands of our citizens have died avoidably. These were unnecessary deaths because of systematic government misconduct. With good British common sense, we will continue to defeat this virus and take this country forward. There are a lot of green shoots of opportunity on the horizon. You know, we've been held down on the forest floor for far too long, and we will reach that canopy again. Hello, I'm Sebastian Salek, ever reaching for that canopy. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster here, your daily guide to British politics. Good afternoon, I'm Caroline Hepke. Well, we've got a special programme for you this Friday, uh, getting into devolution. That's in a moment. But first of all, Seb, I do think that we've got to discuss some of the big uh, political moves today, right? Um, Chancellor Rishi Sunak expected to squeeze public sector pay for millions of workers next week. So the spending review is on Wednesday and it could be quite a blow for some 3.7 million public sector workers who about a year ago were promised an end to almost a decade of austerity. So you're talking teachers, police officers and uh, civil servants and more. The thing is is the 1.8 million National Health Service staff on the front lines in the pandemic, they are said to be exempt, but we don't know that for sure. No, it certainly wouldn't be a good look after everything they've done, after all of the celebration we've had for these people to freeze their pay. The Centre for Policy Studies putting this at a £23 billion saving, which they say can rebalance the pain of the pandemic. But of course, it's not going to sit well for a lot of public sector workers, especially after yesterday's uh, defence spending boost. We should also talk about Brexit. EU negotiators telling the uh, envoys that the UK hasn't moved sufficiently to overcome the three main obstacles to a trade deal. According to Bloomberg sources, the discussions are going to continue in an attempt to secure some sort of agreement as soon as possible. And then, of course, we had that little hitch yesterday as well, a member of the EU team testing positive for coronavirus. So uh, Michel Barnier going into a period of quarantine and these negotiations continuing remotely. Yeah, the government saying, of course, that both sides have already made concessions on the three remaining areas of disagreement. Uh, So that's British fishing waters, the level playing field, uh, how any deal would be enforced, but that it's up to the EU to make the final compromises. All of this after sources are telling Bloomberg that the French president, Emmanuel Macron, and his Belgian counterpart have been calling on their colleagues to make contingency plans in case of a no-deal Brexit. Yep, so that's what's going on over in that world. Let's talk about our special today. We're going to look at devolution. Cast your mind back to earlier in the week, the Prime Minister striking a bit of a nerve in those private comments. He was saying that uh, devolution had been Tony Blair's biggest mistake in Scotland. It had been a disaster. That certainly ruffled a few feathers. Well, let's have a look back over the last two decades of devolution with more on how it all came to be. Here's Bloomberg's Sandra Kilhoff. (laughs) 
For many years, the whole of the UK was run directly by the Westminster government. But in a series of referendums in the late 90s, the people of Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland voted to establish their own elected institutions. Each regional government has varying degrees of decision-making powers. The Scottish Parliament in Edinburgh is the most evolved, with control over things such as health, policing, and some forms of taxation. The Welsh Senate runs public services like health, education, and local government. The Northern Ireland Assembly is slightly different, though, and runs on the basis of a power-sharing agreement between the nationalist and unionist communities. Over the last 20 years, devolution has also happened in England with the creation of directly elected mayors. The first position created was the Mayor of London, who oversees transport, policing, and the fire brigade. There are now 24 directly elected mayors with different powers. For example, in the Liverpool City. Region Stephen Rotherham controls planning and strategy for transport, regional economic development, and skills training. In Greater Manchester, Andy Burnham is in charge of social care, children's services, and housing. Recent issues like Brexit and the coronavirus pandemic have brought the nuances of devolution to the fore, reigniting the debate about its merits and shortcomings. Okay, there you have it. A little potted history then of uh, the powers that have been uh, devolved from Westminster to the nations and regions across the UK. Joining us now is Akash Porn, who is the senior fellow at the Institute of Government, to to discuss.、Um, Akash,、uh, has devolution, in your view, achieved actually what it set out to do in Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland? Well,、um, hi. Thanks for having me on. I think that's a、um Yes, that's a, that's, a, that's a big question. There are different stories in each part of the UK,、um, and the the performance of devolution has has has, has varied、um, between the different institutions as well. But I do think,、um, in response to the reported comments from、um, from Boris Johnson about、uh, devolution having been Tony Blair's biggest mistake, I mean, what what strikes me about that is the very kind of Uh, Westminster-centric view that that displays the idea that devolution came about almost as a sort of personal wheeze of Tony Blair when he came into power in 1997. Whereas if you go back to that time,、um, what had happened was that we'd had 18 years by that point of、um, of conservative rule、um, in which. The legitimacy of direct rule from Westminster had become progressively eroded in West in Scotland and Wales, and in 1997, every single Conservative、um, MP in Scotland and Wales lost their seat,、mm. um, and Labour came into power with a with a manifesto commitment to to implement devolution, which by then, particularly in Scotland, was very clearly the preference of. A large majority of Scottish voters, and、um, uh, you know, 75% of the country、uh, yeah. or there or thereabouts voted in favour of devolution in that referendum.、Um, so, for me, <laughs> to go back to your question, devolution was about restoring the legitimacy of government and of the constitution in all parts of the UK.、Um, and in that respect, I would say it has largely been a success. And then, I mean, it's been really shaken up, I suppose, and exposed throughout the pandemic because health—a devolved issue—we've seen the leaders of the nations deciding their own policies, and then also within England, you've got the regional mayors, the metro mayors, really coming into their own and fighting their corner. So, what sort of an impact has the pandemic had on devolution on a whole? 
Well, it has been a real test, I think, for um, for the devolution arrangements because we've seen um, powers exercised by the devolved governments that I think a lot of people didn't, you know, really huge um, economic and, and, and social disruption that has come with it um, were powers that could be wielded at the devolved level, I think, was 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 unexpected. But I think what we've seen is that certainly in Scotland and Wales, um, the public there think that the devolved governments have done a pretty good job. I mean, the, the approval ratings of the devolved leaders of Nicola Sturgeon, of Mark Drakeford, and of their governments are way ahead of the approval ratings for Boris Johnson and, and the Conservative government. Um, 72% of Scottish voters in a recent poll I saw mm. thought that the Scottish government had a positive record on COVID compared to just 25% who thought the same about um, Boris Johnson and, and the UK government. So I do think to a large extent in the eyes of voters, um, you know, the devolved institutions have risen to the challenge. Um, and that applies in, in England as well. I mean, I think the mayors have, uh, led by Andy Burnham, you might say, um, have been seen to kind of rise to the challenge of speaking up for and defending the interests of their areas mm. in negotiations over, over funding for business and so on. No, I mean, in a way, the criticism, is it not, of of the Johnson government, that there has not been enough of a coordinated strategy on health, bringing together the four nations and regions to combat the pandemic. There's kind of a late stage um, go at that, I guess, with the idea of the strategy around um, the Christmas um, pandemic, what we're going to do around uh, the festive period. Look, what the Johnson, um, what Johnson's comments, though, also um, underline is this fear, I guess, in England, in Westminster, that devolution is simply a one-way ticket to breaking up the union. Uh, tell us your perspective on that. Do you think that that is now simply increasingly likely, and not just for Scotland, but perhaps even, incredibly, maybe for Wales uh, and Northern Ireland is a much trickier um, prospect? Yes, I mean, as things stand, um, support for independence in Scotland is running at above 50%, and it has been um, at that level pretty much all of this year, um, so, so even before COVID hit. But the, the perception of um, poor performance by the UK government on, in COVID does seem to have helped the SNP and the independence cause. So um, are we on an inevitable path to uh, independence for Scotland? Um, I don't think necessarily, um, because I think if we do end up in another independence referendum campaign, there are going to be some very difficult questions that the, the SNP and the yes side uh, will have to answer, such as what currency will an independent Scotland use? Uh, what will happen at the border between Scotland and England when England's going to be out of the European Single Market and Customs Union and Scotland wants to go back in? Um, does Scotland have the have the public finance capacity to support the level of public spending it currently has? For example, I mean, I think there's some big, quite difficult questions like that. So I don't think it's a it's a sure thing. Um, but certainly, I think independence is is back on the agenda. I mean, we had the referendum in 2014. 55% of Scots voted to, to stay in the UK, and that did seem at the time to have probably settled it for. Um, for, for quite some time. But of course, the big thing that happened since then was, was Brexit. 
um, at which over 60% of Scottish voters um, voted to stay in the European mm. Union. And the fact that Scotland has been taken out of the European Union despite that yeah. has again brought to the fore this sense of a, a democratic deficit that the interest of, of Scotland and the views of its people can be overridden by the English majority. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Has devolution been a success? That's the question. And where should it go next? Well, joining us to discuss this is Fergus Much. He's a former communications director of the SNP and the party's candidate for Aberdeenshire West in next year's Holyrood elections. We've also got Mark Reckless, a former Conservative and UKIP MP. He's now an Assembly member in the Welsh Senate, where he was leader of the Brexit Party, but has recently left to join the Abolish the Welsh Assembly Party. Uh, Fergus, let's start with you on this. Earlier this week, I've got to play you this. We spoke to the Conservative MP, Andrew Bridgen, uh, about Boris. Johnson's comments that you'll all be aware of around devolution and it being a disaster. Have a little listen to what Andrew Bridgen had to say here. He'll be disappointed that that leaked out. Uh, I think he made a valid point in that it's the, the considerable devolved powers that the Scottish National Party have uh, had uh, through devolved government. You know, health standards have fallen in Scotland dramatically. Education, Scotland used to have the highest educational achievement in the UK. It's now heading to, to the lowest uh, and obviously the reform of the police force has been uh, very dubious in Scotland. The SNP are always wanting full independence. They can't handle the powers correctly that they're actually being given so far. And it's time that they were held to account uh, for this. It, it has turned into a bit of a one-party state in Scotland, which is, is very unhealthy. So, Fergus, got to get your thoughts on that, first of all. Yeah, I think Boris Johnson's remarks earlier in the week were pretty misguided, but perhaps tell you all you need to know about his disdain for people of Scotland and the, and the way they vote. Um, you know, Boris Johnson's pro-unitary UK, he's anti-democratic, he's incredibly foolish, and I don't think Andrew Bridgen's comments just there uh, really added much to that at all. Three points I would make. Firstly, I think that decisions are better made when they're taken closer to the people they impact upon. In that sense, devolution is better for democracy. Secondly, I'd say that devolution in practical terms has allowed Scotland to take some very different policy decisions for ourselves over the last 21 years, and, and that's a good thing. And, and, and finally, the, the final point I'll make is a democratic point again. People in Scotland voted for devolution in 1997 by almost three to one. Whether they support the individual parties running the government in Scotland, you know, it's kind of neither here nor there. It's only a minuscule minority of hardliners who think that Holyrood, the Welsh Assembly, should be abolished or have its powers curbed. I mean, in Scotland, the vast majority of people want more powers, not fewer, coming here, such as mm. more control over tax and spend, control over immigration. The majority of people think that Scottish devolution has been a force for good. OK, uh, let me put that then uh, to Mark Reckless. Mark, your party says that Wales is falling behind the rest of the UK. Um, as you've heard, Fergus there says actually devolution is better for democracy. How do you think returning powers to Westminster is going to fix things? Well, in Wales, our education results and healthcare 
outcomes and uh, economy, whether where wages or GDP, are, are even worse than in Scotland. And they have got worse over the period of devolution. And unlike Scotland, there's, there's not a large number of people in Wales who want independence. More people in Wales want to abolish the Assembly or Senate and end devolution uh, than want us to be independent. And we've been dragged in the slipstream of Scotland, where actually there's much more support for a more unitary United Kingdom in Wales. And when we had our referendum on devolution, it was barely half a percent one way or the other. And previously, Wales had voted four to one against devolution. And then when we had more powers, it actually said on the ballot paper that we cannot make laws on tax in the Assembly, whatever the result of this vote. And that promise has been broken with uh, income tax powers now devolved to, to, to Wales when people were promised in a referendum that they they wouldn't be. So all those reasons, there's a very strong head of steam behind the Abolish the Assembly Party in Wales, and we hope to do Wales elections next year. But, but Mark, why is the why are the falling standards in Wales attributable to devolution itself rather than, say, poor government by whoever's in power at the time? Yeah, I mean, we've only had Labour lead, lead governments since uh, since the devolution uh, period, and um, things things have got worse. So, sort of the factual matrix of uh, causation, sort of on that is Labour Party blame and devolution blame, because they've led it for all the, the time. So why is a Conservative government continually devolving more and more powers to Wales, which two-thirds of their supporters opposed and would prefer to abolish the Assembly and end devolution and don't want to pay more tax just because they live in Wales, let alone get worse standards of education and health care? Fergus, let me go to you then. What do you make of that argument that devolution actually doesn't make sense in Wales? It only makes sense in Scotland because of this, um, of it being a stepping stone to independence, basically. I mean, I don't, I don't agree with that. In, in principle, there has been you know, significant successes of devolution in Wales. You see more people in employment and successful measures of protecting the environment. For example, free travel for older people. They've you know, kind of followed Scotland's lead on, on some of these progressive policies, such as free prescriptions, ending the tax on Ill health, the smoking ban, which is a great public health uh, policy enacted in, in recent years. Um, a point that I would make to, to take issue with what Mark says there, when he just assumes that devolved governments shouldn't have tax and spend powers, it's quite interesting. Scotland is taking decisions to, to, to marginally increase income tax rates, make them more progressive, generate more income for public services. And these have been overwhelmingly welcomed in Scotland, even amongst people who would, you would say would be on the right of, of, of the political spectrum. Even Tory voters are happy to pay more if they get better public services as a result. One of the things that I would say is that the Scottish government as well as the Welsh government are doing a lot of these things with a hand tied behind their back, really. So they have, they have um, a great deal of power over the spending but they still lack the economic levers to make a big difference in, in, in the wider economic sense. What about the cost, though, uh, Fergus? Because the, it costs money to run a parliament in Cardiff or in Edinburgh or wherever. You've got another layer 
of politicians that some would say just confuses the system even further. Um, is that really warranted? I mean, I think I think that's a fairly false argument. I, I think that you know Scotland, there, there was a Scotland office which which you know, was dictated to by Whitehall ministers before the era of devolution, and, and you know already practically that layer of civil service and and took decisions about what concerns Scotland. I think having 129 MPs in Holyrood is 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 not a huge uh, layer of you know extra administrative layer. And you know the criticism tends to come from people who are quite happy with the the framework that exists at Westminster, where you have hundreds upon hundreds of unelected lords making decisions over things that affect our lives, and you know that's the democratic disgrace, really. Whereas Scotland has a fair electoral system mm-hmm. and is closer to the people. Um, Mark, what? I'm interested in the situation now and what the pandemic means for um, devolution going forwards. I mean, the pandemic in the devolved nations actually in some ways has been better handled than it has perhaps in in England. I mean, it's, it's difficult. One can pass the numbers in different ways. But actually, the messaging certainly has been seen as incredibly positive from Nicola Sturgeon. And in Wales, um, uh, the restrictions on movement and so on have been enacted more quickly and have perhaps saved more lives. Isn't the pandemic actually the moment at which devolved government and making decisions at a local level, at a closer level to people, has really borne fruit? I mean, I disagree that the epidemic has been handled better in, in, in Wales. Some of the areas of greatest uh, prevalence and uh, deaths have been uh, in Wales. The attempt to have an independent testing system was an absolute disaster such that we, we, we rightly joined in with the UK government's efforts in that area. But I think I think I think where you are right is there's been differences of approach between UK government for England and what's been done in Wales and Scotland. And actually I think those differences have been relatively marginal and the differences in performance have been relatively marginal. But what they have shown is that the devolved governments have the power to force people to stay at home and only come out or do things that that government decides. So for Wales, where many people are opposed to de- de- devolution, a lot of them have sort of ignored devolution and not really been involved b- before. They, they, they don't listen to, to Wales-specific media and they don't take part in devolved elections because they've now seen Mark Drakeford, this guy in Cardiff that half of them didn't even know who he was before the pandemic because he's on their TV screens most days telling them what they can do and what they can't do. A lot of those people are much more motivated to vote against devolution because they want to be part of the United Kingdom governed at UK level rather than see more and more barriers, let alone a border enforced between England and Wales in the way that Mark Drakeford and devolution Wales is doing. And Mark, what about the culture? Hang, hang on a minute. I mean, sorry. Go, go on, Fergus. Go on, jump in. Yeah, I mean, Mike Drakeford is a democratically elected first minister of, of of the Welsh government. He's not some interloper who has no right to be on TV. He runs the government in Wales. They have key decisions to make when it comes to public health. And he's got every right to be no, making I'm just decisions saying, that in the interest of public health in England. All right. Um, Mark, I've got to ask you about the cultural aspects of all this as well. Uh, I mean, looking at Wales, uh, to take your local patch as an example, there's a strong local culture. They've got the language. Do they not deserve to be ruled by somebody who is within their part of the country? Well, I, I represent South East Wales, where, where Welsh is not widely um, spoken. There are as many, if not more, people in Wales who were born in England and have moved to Wales than who speak Welsh. But until this pandemic, 
brought people to understand the powers that devolved government has in Wales, a lot of those people didn't take part in devolved politics. And now I'm saying they are much more likely to because they've seen the impact that this Labour government led by Mark Drakeford in Cardiff has had and the degree of power that it's exercised over them. And they would prefer to be governed on a UK basis. They feel British. And yes, there is a minority of people in Wales who speak Mm. Welsh and the culture and nationhood of of, of Wales put strong emphasis on that language. But the large majority of people in Wales don't speak Welsh. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.